0: That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Now back to the good part.
1: corner podcast curtis wilson here my partner as always
0: ryan siegel what's up fellas how you doing buddy oh man i am doing good dude uh taking
1: some time off at the end of this week so did not work today uh sipping on a little water um no alcohol for me tonight i don't know (laughs) why for some reason i don't work i get a miserable headache and i can't have a little cocktail with my uh with our podcast today,
0: how about you? Yeah, you, you, yeah usually we're, we're rolling, uh, rolling drinks pretty good here. So, uh yeah, this week I've been back in, uh, back in class. I uh, started the summer session, so I had Tuesday, and then I had tonight. I just wrapped up about twenty minutes ago, so um, I'm finishing the night with what I call the rich man, poor man. So I've got the uh, twelve ounce bomber of Richmond Lager. Shout out Hardywood. And then I've got the uh, sixteen ounce tall boy of hams. So I'm gonna roll with the uh the bomber first and then I'll finish it off with the hams. Awesome, dude. That sounds
1: like some college stuff right there, right? Go get a nice six pack and then finish it off with like a natty or a beast
0: to get for the night. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like I've got just enough money to spoil myself a little bit here. What am I gonna do? Oh, well, eh, this nice little uh bottle of guinness is on sale and then i can couple that with some uh some 12 pack of natty let's let that ride for tonight let's go dude hey
1: man you've been doing stuff around your house i was gonna try to do some stuff this week here but the rain has essentially uh killed all plans because i was gonna try to uh seal the deck and it's just raining and raining
0: a R- little too saturated for that <laughs>
1: I like- <laughs> when I took these days off a couple of weeks ago, like my thought was, oh, this will be good. I could go get the deck sealant, you know, wife at home. We can work around her schedule and I can get it done. But nope, that ain't happening this weekend. So I don't know when that's going to happen. Since last time we talked, I've been to a, actually a few places like a living human being, Home Depot, Trader Joe's, BJ's, kind of feeling a little more normal. Uh, maybe that's a way to say it, you know. I saw you had some Hurleys. Did you guys
0: like had friends over, or did you guys go out
1: somewhere the other night?
0: Yeah, so we grabbed some, uh, grabbed some wings. We got a couple other apps and things of that nature. So we grabbed that, headed over to a park, kicked it for a little bit. It was, uh, it was the first official day that Virginia was kind of opening back up. So we were in, uh, in Henrico and kind of threw down some wings on some, uh, Buffalo cheese tots and uh they were pre- they were pretty solid. And uh then tonight I had some fajitas from uh the patron and we got some Sarah got some nachos and Wyatt got his got his quesadilla. So it's been a been a good run here for us on uh, on on scooping up some solid food even though we're still doing the uh the curbside Uh, dance so far how about you
1: uh we had uh neighbors came up on saturday we got hurley's uh they made some daiquiris had some beers in the cul-de-sac kids rode around on their uh you know on their trikes and other little toys and jack rode his bike around um it is funny you mentioned the quesadilla is like that it's that that's the official kid food if they go to a if you go to a mexican establishment right
0: Oh, absolutely! Yeah. yeah, it's it's definitely the go-to. Like, why it's weird. He won't. Uh, he doesn't even mess around with uh, like chicken or anything. Of his he just wants straight cheese quesadilla and lets it ride. Yeah, same same with both of the
1: boys. Um, although wife, when we make them at home, like we did here tonight, she slips chicken, steak, beef, whatever we have, and occasionally we get the what's in this everything. Eat it. <laughs> <laughs> it's good for yeah, you. It's good for you. You're getting some bones here. All right, well, there you well, guys, today on the episode, um, we're going to dive into something that has been long going between me and Brian, an NCAA draft. But before we uh, tackle that, and literally, I mean, tackle that, uh, <laughs>
0: this,
1: this was similar to the Rushmore thing, we went... It was an undertaking, guys. <laughs> it was an undertaking. <laughs> But we, we got some hokey headlines here. Uh first, the good news. Jalen Jones, the six one, one eighty five wide out out of Thomas Jefferson here in the RBA committed last Friday.
0: You know, it's a little bit more special when those folks from the eight oh four commit to Virginia Tech. It just hits a little bit different. I was uh I was big time excited when uh, when I saw that coming out. I was like, oh yeah because I think I think he's going to do some special things for us. I think he's got kind of a under the radar talent right now. Reminds me a lot of uh of Cam. So I yeah. think we're going to see some good things from him um in the future. I don't think he's necessarily a day one contributor, but I think long term he's going to you know pay some dividends for oh, us. Oh,
1: absolutely. And uh, that Thomas Jefferson program and give um head coach PJ Adams all the credit in the world. <laughs> Probably when we first moved here, you the same, about the same time frame. Um, they were bad. And now, yeah. now they are a respectable program. Something he mentioned, and I can't remember if it was with Mark Davis or Lane Gassadante, but they interviewed him. And um, he talked about sticking it out at Thomas Jefferson because Adams was not there when he showed up. They were not a good program. Uh, kind of kind of tells you that kid's kind of uh, made out of something different when you hear that. So that makes me uh, extra excited. And then you, you hear the cam comparisons. You see the, the body types. You see some of the catches. I mean, d- he led basically the central region, you know, the greater part of the RVA in receptions and yards. So, you know, I really think I – mean, that's no small feat, man. I mean, you're playing against solid teams here in this region. So I think – I'm kind of with you. I don't know if he's a day-one contributor, but I think a couple of years in, I think he definitely could become um, definitely a uh, definitely a player with what we're running right now.
0: I agree with that. And like, like you said, with the sticking it out with TJ, I mean – so many of the, the city kids that have a lot of talent end up, you know, fudging their zip codes. So they end up playing for Hermitage or Highland Springs or Verina instead of one of the city schools. So seeing a kid like him, you know, stick it out, do the right thing and, you know, go out there and shine. I mean, that that, that says a lot about his character and says a lot about his willingness to, you know, not take the uh, the, the easy way there as it were.
1: Absolutely. Well, Brian, I- Let's just talk about the elephant in the room. Um, (laughs) Ten days ago when me and you talked, Demetrius Davis had decommitted. Just the way it seemed. He needed to check out some other options. Uh, You know, said he was planning on making official visits. And then, lo and behold, last weekend.
0: Uh, Minutes after the Jalen Jones announcement, mind you. you Yeah, minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, There was an announcement that he was committing on Sunday at 11. And when everything came down, Curtis, where'd he end up? Auburn. Let's talk about what happened the day before that, though. There was a uh, Instagram post with a top three released. Guess who was not in that top three? Um, Auburn. <laughs> Guess who was not in the previous top six he released right after he decommitted? Auburn. So we got a little bait and switch situation going on here where Pretty much everyone knew where he was going, it seemed like, between the crystal balls on 247 and all of the board speculation. Yeah. And then he tried to pull what seemed like a little bit of an okey-doke late to try to, I guess, maybe obfuscate the situation. So it seemed like it came out of the blue. It didn't. No, nah, because we we said it last time, something changed in the last month leading up to this and then all of a sudden you get radio silence and you get a decommitment, and now you get a surprise commitment to a school he didn't even list in any of these, you know, top schools that he was focusing on. So, you know, that says to me that something was going on and for whatever reason they didn't want eyes on the Auburn program until everything came down, whether it was to bring in an element of surprise or whether it was to hurt us or hurt, hurt another, uh, another team. I, it's hard to tell what the actual motivation for it was here. That part was ridiculous, but redeemable. Now what wasn't redeemable was some of the comments that were made after the commitment. And I'll let Curtis take those and uh, expand upon them here. Cause I know, I know he was in his, uh, in his pocket there about him.
1: Well, it got me. You know, when he said the stuff about, I want to play SEC football, I want to be part of one of the you know, their programs. Cool. We, As Virginia Tech fans, me, you, the majority of people we know say, yep, Auburn last 10 years has been a much better football program. They we are will advocate
0: conference. otherwise, but we understand where you're coming from. Understand where you're coming from. That's cool. But
1: then it was it was it was it was really two things. One was the well, Tech wanted me to come in right away and play. Well, well wait a second, dude. Um, we have three highly rated guys already here. Um, yeah. Well, hold on. Uh, so that doesn't seem to bear out, you know, common sense like most of us have. And then. Um, you know, and then he talks about, I'd rather sit behind Bo Nix. And it's just like, well, wait a second. There's, Bo Nix is in essentially in the same realm with the guys that we have. So let's 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 not go that direction. But the one that probably set people off the most was the academic thing. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to do three minutes worth of research on Google. Also, and know in general, that Virginia Tech is a superior academic institution to Auburn, Auburn 104, Text somewhere like sir So, you know, that, that really set people off, and some people are trying to say, oh, they just misquoted him. He was talking about the academic support, and it's like, I checked Sam Spiegelman's article a couple times, and he has not retracted it. He has not updated it. So either he completely wrote it in completely misleading terms or Demetrius said some things that really isn't true, and he has not done his research on Auburn as an institution.
0: Either he can com- he completely uh, used the wrong words to convey his meaning, or he doesn't understand what he's talking about. And you know, even if there there may be a program or two specific to Auburn that might, you know. Be relative or better than than tech, but if you're talking about the academic institution as a whole and specifically the target programs that he had mentioned in the past, there's no competition. Yeah. Um, so that that raises some eyebrows. It, it seemed like uh, an unnecessary troll on the way out of the good fortunes of the hokie fandom there. So it was it was compl- It was unnecessary in my opinion. It, it, it did not need to be said. Um, Nothing. Most everyone understood Auburn is a better football program in terms of what it can do right for him. Yep. I think we understand that. And that that's not saying he couldn't have had a, a good or better career at Virginia Tech than he could at Auburn. But in terms of walking in day one, they offer things that we can't offer right now.
1: 100%. And I don't think anybody would have had an issue if that's all he said. Um, and it would have been like, good luck to you. Have a good career, yeah. So uh, yeah, but let's not get too deep into that because you're drinking, and, and that could <laughs> we could go really deep into that. Um, I've already but, finished the
0: rich man, man. I'm already on the poor man. You're already on the poor man, just hammering it, dude, hammering it.
1: Um, hey, let's do let's have a little fun, man. Uh, some things came up this week, chatting, you know, things on Twitter, and uh, what's your? Let's go with the top three chain sub-spots for you, Brian. Let's go three, two, one. Start with your three, and I'll hit with mine.
0: All right. Three, Penn Station. Penn Station is the winner in this category because they put pizza sauce on the cheesesteak, and they've got fries. And if you like a a cold, refreshing beverage in the the summertime, they've got a pretty banging homemade lemonade. What about you? Three for me is Potbelly. Okay. Um,
1: very big fan of potbelly uh since they opened pretty local here the last few years um both good hot and cold subs have an awesome chip brand but the one thing that sets it off for me is dude that little pickled hot pepper thing they have it's just like so money it's like can i have two of those to go on my sub i appreciate it man,
0: I, I know about you and the peppers man i remember some trips you used to make at the office back in the day you would always load up on the pepper so i I know that you are a pepper connoisseur. I like
1: peppers. Peppers, you know, dude. I'll be straight up. As a family, we buy bell peppers either three or six every week. So I, I love peppers. All right, what's your two?
0: Two, I'm going to go it's – a, it's a toss up here. I'm going to go Firehouse. I'm going to oh, go wow. Firehouse. I'm going to go – probably Hook and Ladder is going to be the go-to. What about you at number two, dude? I'm Firehouse as well, and I think it. it the reason
1: is it's a bigger sub than uh, Potbelly, but they're hot and cold match. They have some. They have good, like I believe they're Reuben. I've had several times. Excellent Reuben for a chain restaurant, um, and you know, but they have the cold options too. So. Yeah. I'm I'm with you firehouse.
0: What's the other one? The engineer, I think, is the one that has the uh, the brisket and the yes. pastrami. I think you're right by that, yeah. But just 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 a really good sub. Just
1: you know, every like the ingredients and everything. It's um, you know, I, they're my two. Now okay. I, I have a feel. I have a feeling two and one are gonna be the exact same for me and you. <laughs> just thinking here. <laughs> what, what, so, what's
0: one? Number one, Jersey Mike's, and it's not a question. Nah, I've I've got two go tos. I've got the I've got the number nine if I want something cold, and I've got the uh, big Kahuna if I'm going for uh, for something hot. Agreed on the big Kahuna, but I love the Cancro,
1: the Cancro special. That's my go to with the cold. But I think Jersey is Mike's. The reason there one is if you just want like a good cold cut sub. Man, they pile it and they're very simplistic with their ingredients and it's good. The bread tastes great. They put enough meat and cheese on there where you feel like you're taking a sandwich. Um, and then the same with the big kahuna with those jalapenos, baby. Oh now, uh, let's just put it out here to those listening. Um, Subway is not acceptable
0: in a top three. <laughs> Yeah, I, I've got no problem with you putting Subway somewhere, but it's not a top three. It really shouldn't be a top five. But, <laughs> it, you know, depending on depending on your locality and your exposure, I can see where a Subway might make a top five. But, I mean, if you've been anywhere that has at least four sub shops, you should not have Subway in your top three. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> makes me think we're going to end up doing an episode of, oh, the subs of <laughs> one day. I'd be good with that. I'd be so- good with that. All right, buddy. I got I got a song I want to play for you for where we're moving next. All you right. ready? I'm listening. <laughs> All right, guys. We're entering a world where... The NCAA has a draft. Picture if you will. <laughs> <I'm just> gonna, <laughs> gotta do my best rod here. Picture you if you will. Started, baby. <laughs> so w- this has been like kind of floated in several podcasts in uh, of yesteryear, but we we figured, you know, since we're in a uh quarantine right now, we got time on our hands, we could discuss it. We decided we were gonna give the people what they want, and what the people want I think is a more equitable college football situation, something with more parity, at least more parity than we have. Um, And Curtis has been, I don't know, Curtis, I'll let you you throw it out there. When did you develop this?
1: All right. um, It started roughly seven or eight years ago when me and you were working together on, and we'd take lunches and breaks, and I feel like about every once a month this would come up for like two days, and we'd go back and forth. And at that point in time, you knew my stance. I was completely against all the pain of any players, didn't want it to happen, didn't think it was right. Now, (laughs) even at that point in time, even seven, eight years ago, you had a different stance, though.
0: Yes, I was willing to listen to proposals for players profiting from their name or likeness or abilities, uh, mainly because regardless of how we ha- we both felt about the situation, literally every other student athlete has an opp- opportunity except for ones that play some of these major sports. Um, so whether they're on scholarship there or not, they, they can make money off their likeness, name, or ability, but NCAA athletes didn't have that privilege, so... Um, that's where my that's where my take was, but it seemed like Curtis, if he was gonna take a dive off here, he wanted something a little bit more revolutionary.
1: Yeah, there's no reason to play it safe in that case. Um because <laughs> my my thought was when you always talked about that was well whoever has the biggest boosters are just gonna essentially hire the top prospects if you got a booster who's worth $60 million, you want to come here, son? Come on over. Here's 60,000. Uh, talk about my car dealership, whatever. Um, it, it, but as you slowly, through those conversations, you, you sort of kind of grinded at me over those few years because you hit some really good valid points. Um, but then, I like, I can remember like one of the days I first brought up the idea. It it hit me, and I said it to you. It was a revolutionary idea, and the idea was this. And When I said it, I'm sure Brian's face, your face, it probably gave me one of those Ooshka Ooshka looks. But I said, hey, Brian, we can pay the players,
0: but if we pay the players, they get drafted. He said it, and my first immediate reaction was, Nah, that's that's not going to happen. That's not going to (laughs) happen. That wouldn't be feasible. It removes the idea of scholar athlete almost completely, since a prospect wouldn't be able to choose where they would go if they're being drafted. But as Curtis started explaining what he was talking about, um, there's actually a little bit of a solution to that conundrum. And I'll let Curtis dive in a little bit more here and tell you what that solution is. Yeah. And we're going to get to that. Why don't you hold it, Because it's
1: like, it's got to be layered, right? Because if we start going all over the place, people will be like, what the bleep did you guys talk about tonight? <laughs> um, but the one thing I gave Brian during this time had always done, he really, he challenged me on certain aspects of some of my original ideas. He played devil's advocate even though at times there was no reason to play devil's advocate um, (laughs) with so many of the ideas and points I've come up with. So we'd be walking around on break, just chit chatting, like, what about this? And you'd be like, poke, poke, poke. I'd be like, damn you. Um, But I, but I really appreciate it because it made me think more and more about this. Um, And in reality, it really isn't just my piece. Um, It's both of our pieces because without Brian being that devil's advocate, without essentially, um, Playing that person who you know, I'd come to the idea into here. It is. What do you think? You poke the holes. I'd go back to the drawing board. Um, it's really both of our dissertation on this type subject.
0: Yeah, I was good at poking the holes. So, uh, <laughs> and then I'd send Curtis back in the lab, and he'd come back at me. We, you know, one solution would fill one hole, and sometimes open another. Um, sometimes he'd, he'd seal it up good on at least on one side of the ship. Um, I wouldn't say that what we were about to present here is. Better than the current system, but I would argue it certainly is no worse and is more equitable and If that's what we're shooting for, then this you know might have some legs in a twilight zone. Um, <laughs> it is also again, I think probably a complete pipe dream that we have fun with, and we thought we would let you in on some of this uh this brain lab behavior Curtis is showing trying to fix college sports first of all pipe dream hell
1: um this is going to be the way it goes one day and we might be in our 60s when it happens and we will be commissioning it but now i'm going to get me and you are going to work out getting some uh we're going to get the uh what's the rights man that when you have the ideas uh god
0: you know intellectual property rights there you go intellectual
1: property rights thanks it wasn't coming there the intellectual's <laughs> kind of gone today um <laughs> But the first thing we had to do was I had to start somewhere and say, well, who's a part of this draft? And, you know, I'm just going to be straight up. I'm sorry, Group of Five schools, Old Dominion, um, Georgia Southern, and the rest of y'all, and all you long-term non-major independents. Sorry, Liberty. You're not involved in this. (laughs) Um, So it's really you're looking at all the Power Five schools along with Notre Dame, and BYU. I'm sorry to Army. Yes, you're an independent, longstanding, but we cannot start partnering you with having this potential when Navy, Air Force can't. Plus, I get a feeling um, the service institutions wouldn't want to be a part of this anyway. There are things they don't even release about some of their players and some of their scholarships. So I'm sure there will be some part of it like, nah, we're good. We're on a different level than that so so that's it. we got sixty six teams
0: all right so first thing here for the for those on the sixty six they will unfortunately be resigned to get the leavings of the power five program should they choose not to accept the power five draft designations um, they also may not be able to support themselves since. I'm not certain that the financials will be the same once all these changes are in place. The first hole that I'd like to poke in here is like, let's talk about television money and the teams that draft not wanting to play teams that don't the same way that Power 5 and G5 schools currently play.
1: Well, I think first, Brian, you talk about them playing. I think that's still going to happen. You know, there is still going to be money out there for P5 to Fed G5 to say, hey, come down first weekend of September. Here's a million dollars. They're not going to turn those down. Um, But also the G5 is actually going to have in a little while here, you're going to hear some benefits that they have that the P5 don't have concerning players. So hold tight for that, man. Um, You know, so. Um, the P5 weren't privy to certain things that the G5 are. Now, as far as supporting themselves, um, I even think with the things I'm going to lay out and we're going to discuss here, there's still a market for G5 amongst fans, amongst recruits. I mean, their games are still being watched. I mean, Brian, you take last year, UCF Temple on a Thursday night competing with the NFL still pulled like 1.8 million people on ESPN to watch it. That's not a small number. And then you think about like, Maction and the uh, the uh, the fun belt on Tuesday and Wednesdays, they're pulling anywhere from six hundred fifty seven hundred eight hundred thousand 800,000 people watching. So the markets are still there. We are a football-loving society, and I don't foresee them losing it all. Now, I think what probably will have to happen if this were ever to be implemented, I think they'd have to take a um, hard look about who they pay versus who just gets a scholarship. Um, but I think this is just going to be just it's, – it's still the devil, but it's just a different type of devil that, again, that we're looking
0: at making college football as a whole more equitable. Okay. Okay. So you're, you're thinking that with the measures that are in place and with some of the cost-saving features coupled with some of the extra media revenue coming in that they're going to be just fine. Absolutely.
1: I think they're going to be just fine. Um, plus, you know, again, we're a football-loving society, and the one thing I'm going to bring up here later is going to be about the money for that G5 over P5, which I think you're going to like a lot. But, um, but now, hey, I got 66 team established. We got it, right?
0: Okay, we well, got like 66. Any,
1: 66. But like any draft, you can't just throw out big numbers. Whatever, whatever. So I started doing some research and I kind of efforted and looked and said, all right, eight rounds feels right. It's about 528 prospects. That's where I feel that's going to be the size of this draft. There's eight essential
0: picks for these 66 teams. Okay, so you got eight rounds, 66 teams, obviously, theoretically, eight picks per team. So... I like the number in terms of not being onerously long um, of a draft and problematic from a logistical standpoint. Got a couple questions for you, though. All right, Normally a recruiting cycle has 18 to 26, 25 to 26 scholarships available depending on the party players, transfers, things of that nature. Um, where are the other players coming from to fill out the rest of the roster? And is there going to still be traditional recruiting for those sub 87 86 ranked caliber players because if we're talking about 528 prospects we're talking about pretty much all the five and four star guys and a good number of high three stars
1: absolutely um yeah it's theoretically eight picks and then you know
0: some things
1: can happen that'll be touched on later about the theoretical eight picks um but for the players who aren't drafted let me hit them first they're just going to be going through their normal recruiting process. For them, it's their decision where they want to play. And you are kind of right about that ranking caliber. It's why I looked at eight rounds, because that's roughly your five-star, your elite of elite, to your very high three, borderline four. Um, But also... So oh, eight's a very interesting number of how coaches have to sell kids because it's not a tiny number like oh you've got to sell three kids they get drafted that's that's not that overly difficult right you know. but it's not like oh we're gonna do twenty six rounds well first of all we'd be here for three weeks and that wouldn't be fun for anyone but so they still have to they still have to kind of sell a kid and for the kid i mean you see so many guys get so excited about getting drafted even if it's in the 7th 6th and 7th rounds it's kind of a symbol i'm 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 one of the best i was chosen by a power 5 team or one of the major independents to play football for them so kind of like a badge of honor to say you got drafted
0: in this okay so it seems like if you're a power 5 school Scouting and selling their pick is still going to be very important because if it turns out, you know, whether the recruiting turns sour or more tape reveals that they aren't who you thought you were, you don't exactly have the ability to pivot to like a high three or a low four star plan B like you would under uh, current recruiting because all those guys are already going to be on other teams. So you'll have to try to sell an undrafted player that playing for you is better than going to a G5 school at that point. Or you'll have to find someone on the transfer portal. And since we're there, um, <laughs> Curtis, what's the transfer portal going to look like under the system? All right, hold on. Before I hit the transfer,
1: I- I'm going to agree with you 100% on this. The scouting, how you sell your flowgram, finding culture fits—they're they're still so important in doing this. Um, but to your point, it kind of starts. This is where I'm talking. We're talking about the equitable. It starts leveling the playing field that if a team doesn't have three tier one options at a position, your scouts better be right about those lower guys. Um, because that's where so many of the elites, you know, they're all oh, the middle linebacker went down. What does that matter? They had the third best middle linebacker in their recruiting class the year after he came in. It doesn't hurt them at all. Um, compared to a lot of uh, players, um, and, uh, it's to me why we look at this and you see that we've had a playoff for six years, only 11 teams have went, Brian, only Definitely. 11 teams have went to that. So there's really no parity in it at all. Um, for me, I'm all with the new transfer rules for those players. Um, now there are going to be, we'll discuss it when we get to the financial part. There are some financial consequences um, when kids do choose to uh, make that decision. And it's going to be highlighted as we cover, the uh, salary portion of the conversation.
0: Okay, so we've got the inherent benefits and the fact that you've still got to recruit under this system. All right, let's take a look at the draft itself. First, what type of draft are we having? Second, are there trades going to be allowed in this draft? And third, if they are, if they are going to be allowed. Um, would it be a pick package, or would players be involved? And fourth, what are the ramifications of drafting a player that you know won't play for your school, both for that player and for the school?
1: And those are really all good, legitimate questions of how this goes. First of all, this is a completely lottery-style selection, and for the first year you do it, you would drop all 66 teams in, um, pick them up, one through 66 how that turns out is after that, you're looking at 33 and 33. So, for example, if you were in the first half of the first 66, the next flick, you're going to be in the back half. And you're going split to it, split it up like that. I hope that does that make sense. You'll be rotating every year. You're going to be at the front half of the 33 or the back half of the 33. And where you are is going to be um, – essentially, you know, completely random. So you cannot tank to get extra balls. You get one ball,
0: only (laughs) one ball.
1: Now, it's also going to be a snake draft. So I think for most of us who play fantasy football, snake draft is how we do it. Again, this is where the selections kind of level out. You pick the highest, you know, five-star because you had the second pick. Well, now you're having to wait, what is that, close to – what, almost 130 picks later? 100-plus picks, yeah. To make your second picks. So although those teams who were at the back half one year, you know, they have that potential Uh to get, like, well, we're going to get maybe a top 60 and then a top 80 guy versus if you're picking up front, we're getting one of the elites. But now, now again, how we scout this guy is going to be kind of important. So, um, you know, those things are – pretty big on that now there are there will be no trades allowed okay um, just none you, you can't do it it's there's you can't be saying well, we're gonna do this pick and this pick for this pick. nope you're getting eight players whether you like it or not. not unless if you draft a player and they do not sign to play for you they're gonna have financial consequences but we'll get to that later but there are two things that can happen if they sign with one of the other 65 schools First of all, that school will relinquish their pick in the next year's draft for the same round. So let's say your school of choice chooses a quarterback at 18. He doesn't want to play for you. I'm going to this school. Well, if that school chooses to sign him, guess what? You get their one pick the next year. Some compensation. So again, how you recruit. That school really wants that guy. He thinks he's worth it. Well, you better hope that the next year he is worth it because you're not going to have one of those elite 66 players to uh, go there. Now, here's kind of the downside of it, but good for the G5 schools. If, the school go, if that kid chooses to go to a G5 school, you're out of luck. So, you know, you still have to recruit the players and you have to know them when you draft them that you draft them, you know they're going to walk on campus and start playing for you.
0: Okay. Okay. So note to all these teams, if this ever goes down, do not put yourself in a John Elway or Eli Manning type situation (laughs) because you will get screwed and you might waste a pick. And even if you get a compensatory pick, you're putting yourself one cycle behind on some of these teams because you're you're essentially throwing away a, a, a high caliber player for one year. Exactly. All right. So, Lottery draft order with a snake format. So now we've got the players are drafted. Let's talk about financials. That's one of the biggest selling points for the system. Yeah, it is.
1: Um, now, you're exactly right with the Eli and John Elway comparison. Um, it's still why you've got to recruit. You've got to get to know these guys. Um, now, there is some compensation for losing a guy, so it's not a complete waste. But to your point you just made, if you just tried to take a guy and he had no interest in signing, he left. Yeah, you got a compensatory, but guess what? Well, now you've got to ref- figure out one of the other guys, either in your draft or one of the undrafted guys that you're recruiting. Can you get somebody similar? Or to your point, well, the next year you're going to have an extra pick, but okay, great. That's next year. That doesn't help you. One thing about colleges, we know every year that happens.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, yeah you, but, you don't um, want to throw away a selection. I mean, you got some scholarships toward the the, the low end. That you know you you take risk on guys, but you don't want to be throwing away your your eight top recruits from from a cycle and knowing one of them's just not going to be there and give you any production.
1: Absolutely. All right. So financial piece. Well, here's the big piece. All the Division One programs, p five, G five, independents, have the option to pay their players a set amount of twenty thousand dollars per year, along with their scholarship. Now, this will be at the program's discretion of how many players get paid. Now, the max number of scholarship players is 85. That's going to be the max number of paid players. So, it will essentially match that. So, if you have 85 guys on scholarship, those are the 85 guys essentially getting paid. So, if the program chooses to pay all 85 players the 20000 it is only a grand total, Brian, of one point seven million a year. I mean, that's what do you think of that?
0: Um, that's uh, that was my first big question when it came to the financial side. Is is this additional budget to pay players? Where is it coming from? Um, I know additional media proceeds would come into play because the more parody that you see in a league, the more people tune in and watch because there's more people that have stakes and and stakes that go beyond just whether or not a team wins or loses and whether or not a team, um, you know, gets them that parlay that they've been looking for, you know, bookies aside. Uh, (laughs) So when we look at, uh, so we got additional media proceeds that are open up to the university as a result of that from the conference and the NCAA. So that's going to be a portion of it. Um, But I think there would likely still be incentive to pay only players that were drafted, Versus the entire 85 scholarships under this proposal, but you know if you've got the resources, um, you might be able to pay them all. I think some of it's going to depend on what what your what your boosters can do. I don't know what what that's going to look like, but in terms of being able to pump money into a program, is that going to help still help those programs in, in a way? Well, you know, I mean that's not going to be the
1: decision of each university. Um, everybody's gonna have, you know, their bottom lines they look at and you know, how they decide to divvy up potential future monies and all that. But but I mean, we, we talked about it last week with, with, with Virginia Tech. The football program had profits last year of twenty three million dollars. Dude, one point seven million ain't even ten percent of that. And we're one of those in the in the in the thirties. And, you know, there's some programs clearly behind us. So, again, the schools have to determine that. Um, but, again, the big piece is, to your point you just made, Your Iowa State. And I know Iowa State's now better under Matt Campbell, but for years they were a doormat. You're getting better players. You're a more competitive team. More people are coming. More people are watching you on TV. So you're probably going to see money come back to the
0: program regardless. Okay. So more money's coming in. Um, it would be nice for the NCAA to maybe come off of some of their money to help these universities, you know, meet that bottom line and not have to cut sports or rely on these um, extra donors to, you know, fund the uh, the system, the new draft system. But I don't foresee the NCAA necessarily changing their allotments to the conferences. What about you?
1: Well, I mean, I think what you're going to see is the schools potentially are going to see a windfall from a deal covering this draft because we know people watch. I mean, you take a look at National Signing Day when it happens, ESPN, FS1, CBS Sports, they're all on top of it. So they're they're clearly covering it up. So you don't think if you have a, a draft where they're talking about the best high school players with 66 of the most popular teams – I think there's some help right there, man, to help those salaries.
0: Yeah, if the NCAA is going to cover it, that, cut, cut it to the conferences and the schools. That would cover it because I know what networks for the NFL draft. I think paid uh, a total of four forty billion to the NFL to cover the draft last year. Um, so even Ooh. if the uh, NCAA made, you know, one fortieth of that, that would be enough to cover. The additional amount to pay all 85 uh, scholarships for every NCAA team, that's a part of the draft. Absolutely, man. I mean,
1: just a billion dollars, you know, a billion dollars to some programs to help them out. I don't think that will uh, be this. Now, now, let me kind of slip in there. I think with this, the NCAA would be smart to aim for like a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, like in January, after the national championship game, but before – um, before NFL playoff games are kind of in there big for those weekends um, because you're still – essentially we're going to eliminate the early, na- early signing period and we're going to go back to the old school you sign in February. So you're going to have a draft and then a few weeks later, National Signing Day. So there's that kind of good time frame in there where they can uh, carve out a little uh, three-day spot where fans like me and you, folks we talk with, our friends of other teams. Oh, who's who's not sitting down to see who your rival or see who's getting out taken?
0: It's true, man. I think you know talking about that. Pro Bowl weekend is probably a very good weekend to look at because it's a couple weeks ahead of national, the traditional national signing day, but it's on a weekend where you're not competing with the NFL that much, especially if you get true. it in Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Um, especially if you're doing something in the daytime on, on Saturday, I think you're going to be fine there. Um, so I think pro bowl, we could really turn into something that's about more than just, you know, the guys that were good, but aren't playing in the super bowl, playing an exhibition. No, dude,
1: I, I actually, I love that idea, man, because if you really have it, you have so many pro bowlers there who could announce their picks for all remoders. Um, and I know earlier, um, and we brought them up a couple times. You had some questions about the financial side. Well, we finally got here. We're 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 through the draft when it probably should take place. What type of draft it is,
0: but we are now here. Um, yeah, so so we're talking about per athlete now. So we we've kind of addressed the big picture financial. Yeah, let's let's take a look at the individual how it affects an individual student athlete so you got the idea of paying 20k a year per athlete for up to 85 athletes per team um so since we're still at the draft portion and not after a student has enrolled what happens financially should a student athlete choose not to enroll at their drafted school all right
1: well this is the biggest piece of financial for those athletes if you choose not to play for the school that drafted them, but you choose one of the other 65 schools, that's a keep here involved with the draft, you forfeit 3 years of salary. You essentially forfeit $60,000 worth of money. Uh that's a lot of money. That uh, you if you told me, Brian, if me and you were told each other, "Hey, if you go here, we'll give you 60 grand or we'll give you 20 grand a year to go to school." Year. Oh, okay, that's cool. But if you go over there, you're going to lose all that. Huh? Um, but remember the one thing I told you about the G five schools—they had some benefits. Well, if you get drafted and you don't want to go play there, but you go play at the G five school, your ECU's, your ucs um, you don't lose that salary. So, G five schools probably going to be hiring some crudes recruiters to uh, go after some of those kids.
0: Um, okay, so. so- so that that we're talking about another situation where, you know, talking to, to kids are going to be cru- crucial.
1: Absolutely. Um, it's, it's, it's going to be crucial again, staying with them. Now you asked about some transfer stuff earlier too. I want to hit that real quick. It's going to be similar to transfer. If you transfer with the one-time exception, because I do like that a lot to one of the other 65 schools, you do lose a year of your salary. Um, now, if you go to a G5 school, same way, you don't lose anything. Grad transfers, they're they're done with essentially the school they started with. They don't lose anything when they transfer. They keep that salary. So the bigger piece here is, you know, you get drafted somewhere. You don't like it, but you don't want to lose that much money. You know, I'm going to go here and get my 20K and then transfer where I want to go. Well, you know the dice rolls, Brian, when you start transferring because it's like you're going to be behind people already. You're not going to know the chemistry of the team. You're going to have to learn the playbook. Is it worth $20,000 to go somewhere where maybe you think has more clout or maybe you think it's a better situation?
0: Okay, so it it makes you think twice about clout chasing or going to these traditional NFL uh, factories just for the sake of doing it versus sticking it out and showing what you can do on the field. Exactly. Uh, at, at a non-traditional school or a or a school that doesn't quite have that uh, that same level of clout. So, piggybacking on that, so we're talking about G five. You know, still has that option in there. But the biggest critique I have is, you know, we talked about the the draft funding and the sixty k for the draft eligible schools. Who's funding the sixty k? Should a player choose to go to G five? Um, how many scholar athletes are they expected to be paid if? If they end up playing for G5, um, I mean, I really like the idea of the player losing out should they choose to go to another school, because um, it requires the player and the coach to be upfront during the pre-draft process. Um, if you blow smoke up a coach's ass about being willing to play there, or they draft you and then you're you're in a spot if you change your mind or if you were bullshitting them, um, in, in jumping ship, now you actually got some real world consequences. Um, for for those decisions at the same time a coach will need to be upfront about a player and how they will be deployed or how soon they will play because that's still going to be a, a a selling point for the situation but i'm still concerned you know if if, if they go through all that and they still decide they want to go g5 how are they getting funded
1: all right yeah i'm i'm i'm, I'm I'm going to hit the G5 first, and then we'll come back to the other piece about, you know, the recruiting part of it. The G5 is going to have to fund their own salaries just like the other 66. Now, the number of paid prospects, again, we said it with the other guys. It's going to be at the discretion of the school. You don't want 85. You don't have to have 85. This is completely up to you. It's an option out there to offer the player this. Um, So they have to make those decisions. They have to look at their football budget. Some of them, you know, are looking at – some of them are making money where this wouldn't be a problem. Some of them are probably – the football program pays for itself. What do we do? There's four or five – there's ten kids we really like we can get if we pay them, but how do we talk to the other seven or five? Now, to your other point, you're absolutely right about blowing smoke up people's asses and how you recruit. First of all, I don't think any player that gets drafted – in this by school is going to be one of those, or they're just they just want to get this clout guy. Why are you going to do that if they potentially could leave? If we're drafting you, we feel that you are one of the eight players that can come in and make an immediate impact, right?
0: No doubt, no doubt. If, that's if you're that's not my thought process. Having some immediate impact, or at least a starting role by your by your second year, I think that's going to be problematic if you're taking guys like that.
1: Absolutely. And it's just one of those things because um, it's really where it starts leveling the playing field because now there's ABC options. Now you have to be real because you aren't getting those options. Now the coach has to be, um, you have to coach up those who aren't as talented. You know, if you don't have 11 five stars, you're getting in this recruiting class and you got two. Well, how good of a coach are you? Um you know, that's that's a thing to think about that so many times. Like, are you really a good coach or do you just have guys who are made for the NFL and you're
0: just here riding them? So, yeah. All right, man. Well, you know, the theme of this entire conversation has mostly been me arguing money, <laughs> whether it's how to fund the draft or how to fund um, the 20K, whether from a power five or a G5. Uh, situa- situation. Um, I haven't really focused a lot on logistics or bylaws, so let's talk logistics and bylaws. You know, what role is the NCAA going to play in governing this system? What rules exist for player image likeness? Um, and are there going to be any changes to the three-year rule For going pro, I know that's more of an NFL thing than an NCAA thing, but I think some of this is going to be reciprocal. And uh, how is pro defined under these new rules since players are being compensated directly for their play? All right. So first
1: of all, the NCAA would have three to five players of every team randomly off of the paid players randomly audited yearly and by that I IRS man their financials their assets anything they earn or of value so you want to set this up so if a booster is starting to pay players and, and they get caught how do most mobsters get caught Brian they get caught actually doing the crimes no, With no. The thing. It's, it's usually finances that screw yeah. them over so you know what the you know, inability to properly launder their money there you go yeah. So in this case, do I foresee it happening? Absolutely. But for me, I think you don't punish the kids that hard. I think you lay off the kids. Um, again, they're somewhere between the ages of 17 and 22. They're young, um, you know, kind of unaware of this. To me, you crush the school that lets it happen and you crush the boosters. When I say crush the boosters, they don't allow to associate with the school. They can't be anywhere near that campus. They essentially get their pride and joy script that they're one of these guys that can walk and talk to all the players and get to know them, get the pictures and the autographs. Take it away from them. You want to see some boosters stop doing shit? That's how you stop them right there. Now, Remove the clout. <laughs> remove the clout. Ding, ding. Um, now, I would like to see going forward what the NCAA's guidelines are going to be um, for the name, image, and likeness rule that's coming down. Um, just to see kind of, are they going to have a cap on that? I'm assuming they will. So again, it would probably slowly fall into that line with the audible players. You take three of the five, you look at what they got on their salary, what they got with the name, image, and likeness and dive into it that way. Um, and you said it before the three year pro rule is it's an NFL rule. That's not an NCAA rule. Um, they aren't professionals. The reason these kids are being compensated is because they are representing their school publicly. Because, as you know, and the one thing that stuck with me so long ago that when we started this conversation, most students can get a job working on campus. These guys can't. But what they're doing, how they're working, they're putting, they're putting their bodies on the line, playing a game for, you know, 60, 70, 100,000 people to watch. And pay to see them play, and then millions more on TV. That that that's their job. That's their job. Best it's, work it's, study ever. It's like me becoming an RA or working for housing, or you like being a front desk. Agent. There is no difference, except they make a lot more. They bring in a lot more money than we do. And
0: a lot of work studies don't ask you to put your body on line like that, man. It's. True. It's true. I mean, I play D3, so I put my body on the line for free. Um, But, yeah, I get where you're coming from with that. (laughs) That definitely playing at a high level like that definitely, uh, you know, comes with uh, some hazard pay, as it were. All right. So you're telling me I get paid 20K a year, though, and with my only uncovered mandatory expense being gas money? Yeah, I'd still take that. So uh, (laughs) now that we've more or less laid out the key points, anything else the audience needs to know about this plan? Um,
1: Matt, no real other key points because it's kind of laid out here. But a question for you, Brian: You have seen and you've heard this plans for years. I mean, years. We're, we're it's borderline a decade old now. <laughs> um, let me ask this: Does this plan benefit the players?
0: Does it benefit the players? Is that a, give me a yes or no? Yeah, players definitely have some benefit here, no doubt, because right. again, they're getting financially. Compensated for their play directly, not them having to hustle. I mean, even, even under the more ideal situation that we're looking at coming into play here with image and likeness, they still have to, to hustle themselves to get those things put in place. This is, okay, well, you're playing for us, you get paid. There you go. So, so my other thing is this. Th-
1: that's a big benefit. Big benefit for the players. Yeah. And does this benefit the
0: top 10% of college football or the other 90 um, in terms of the, the ones that are part of the draft, and even indirectly, I could say some of the the G5s, definitely benefits the other ninety. And I think it puts a greater influence on building relationships and coaching on the field pro um, on the field product versus selling miscellaneous off the field products. Um, I think in many ways we'll learn that a good coach. We'll get a kid drafted no matter what university they represent, and I'd like to see that. I mean, the schools that we call NFL Factories are called such because so many of the most talented players are going there, and every year they've got a four- or five-star guy playing the key positions on that team.
1: Yeah, and I'm going to say this about the NFL Factories. The one big advantage they have over the next tier of schools, they are, and you said it, they're so deep. Top guy goes down. Another top guy comes right in to fall into place. Um, and it's tough to tell at a collegiate level if it's the coaching. or well, if that guy was just born to play football. And I tell you, if the system was ever adopted, you imagine a team like Ohio State who has just always loaded so many talented players. You imagine them, that five-star left tackle goes down, and then it's the two-star from down the road. <laughs> <laughs> who probably isn't ready to play. Um, that's a fact of life for the other 90%. I mean, we see it every year with, I mean, our team being the Hokies, we see it every year happen. And it's the other schools as well that aren't in that essentially upper echelon. And I'm going to tell you another thing, and, and, and this could be the trigger for it's everywhere to happen. I bet you NFL front offices would love this idea because then they would be able to see what kids truly can play and who just might be along for the ride with all the other talented guys around them. That's true. Um, let me pose this question to you, Brian, based on your knowledge of college football, you watched a lot. You're like me. You'll stay up till one in the morning, watching the West coast games. You'll watch some random games on Thursday night, Wednesday nights. Um, who do you think really would thrive in our system? What are some teams out there that you feel just watching college football all your life that always seemed like, you know,
0: who do you think thrives here? So the teams that are going to thrive the most are teams that are coached well on the field and the and the teams that develop talent well. And so teams that have consistently finished ahead of their recruiting average in the final standings every year. So teams that might be recruiting, you know, outside the top twenty-five, even in some cases outside the top forty, but still finishing in the top twenty-five, more or less, at least once every, you know, three to five years. Um, you know, let's talk about teams like Wisconsin, Iowa, Virginia Tech, West Virginia, Texas Christian, Oregon, Stanford, UW, Mississippi State, and Baylor. I think all of those systems would probably have greater success under this system because. You'd be looking at what they do from a talent development and from an on-field perspective and not just whether they can stack their team with four- and five-star kids.
1: Dude, That's such a freaking awesome way to put it. I mean, I'd put Kentucky in there under Mark Stoops. What he's done there is great. Put Utah there with Kyle Winningham. I mean, never getting those top-tier guys, but always finishing um, good. So let me flip it around. Who's going to struggle to adapt? Who – this is not trying to be mean, but <laughs> which coaching staff you look at and say, Jesus Christ, if I go out there, I could make these guys win nine games without even blinking.
0: All right. So first one's going to be the other uh, team that likes to claim the DBU moniker, uh, Ohio State. I think they would struggle because I think they have a, a way of pumping five-star talent into that program with their recruiting. And oftentimes you don't see it pay off relative to to those recruiting numbers. I think teams like Miami and Texas, you know, we always keep hearing, all right, this is is the year for Texas, or this is the year for the U. The U is back, or Texas is back. I think they would struggle even more because you haven't seen progress in their on-field product despite them bringing in top 15, top 20 classes. In the case of Texas, consistently top 10 classes. Um, Penn State would see a drop off because again, you know, they've underachieved relative to some of the recruiting numbers they've brought in. Um, I'd argue teams with recruiting bumps of late would probably also struggle. So we're talking about the UNCs and the Marylands of the world that are pumping out, you know, top five and top ten classes so far going into 2021. That you know, we haven't seen what that on-field product is going to look like yet, but I don't think you'll you won't see the buzz that is being created around their classes. So I think that they would struggle as well. And, uh, you know, UNC and Maryland have consistently not not had great on-field products, and now you're starting to see them get recruits, and you're like, okay, what's going on? That's the, and they would even fall further south from that um, under the new system. Um,
1: Yeah, I'm with you on Ohio State. Right now, um, with how much talent they have and how much talent, and you watch this with it's like how much they're bringing in. I can't tell you if Ryan Day is a great a great football coach or not, or if he just has a bunch of NFL players on his roster and it doesn't really take that much to get them going. I'll put Tennessee with your Texas and your Miami um, assessments. They're always getting talented. Even the few years while Pruitt's been here, still getting talent, not producing. Um, I do like Pruitt as a coach. I think he might be the answer there, but we, we don't know. Um, now, the uh, – I am going to disagree with you about Penn State because I do think James Franklin um, could be okay. He did some really good things at Bandy. and um, he's not afraid to make changes on his staff. He's he's shown that even in the last few years with getting recruiting classes, he's trying to. It looks like he's trying to bring in better coaching. Um, I think he's fallen under this thing that he has gotten to be a good recruiter and it's becoming easier. And I think he's, I think he feels he's taking his eye off the ball in the coaching. That's why he fired his offensive coordinator, brought in a guy from Minnesota. Um, now, UNC and Maryland, they just have great recruiting head coaches. The biggest difference is this. Mac has won games in the past. Mike Loxley's <laughs> 6th and 40. thats, that's just, <laughs> He's six and 40 careers as a head coach. That's atrocious. If I'm a kid's parent, I would just look and be like, Hey, dude, how have you coached almost 50 games and you haven't even won 20 yet?
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean it, 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 and they still walk you know, in through the doors. It's like, OK, you would think you would luck into at least getting, you know, one one season where you, you, you sneak into a bowl. And he hasn't done that. I mean, yeah, exactly. All right. All right. So there it is, folks. All right. There so, Curtis, you laid out the plan. I've done my best to try to poke holes and bring up counterpoints. so Our listeners can know that I give I've given due diligence to to what you're laying out. Um, as I said at the beginning, it's not perfect, and some of the measures would make for some hard choices by 17- and 18-year-olds because they'd be looking at their choice of university kind of, in some ways, being being stripped from them ultimately. So that that would be a big thing for them to have to decide on. It, it um, would, would it, be, would but
1: be. also being given $80,000 – Absolutely, the boys, yeah. There, there is, there is yeah. an
0: upside to that, but but we're still talking about eighteen year year old guys, of which not all of them, even the five and four star guys, are gonna, you know, as the NCAA likes to point out, you know, make a career in something other than football and shit like that. So <laughs> the point the <laughs> point is that you know you're you're still talking about that that being taken from their hands in a, in some some degree. So but it would present a more balanced product on the field and it would make recruiting more about the big picture stuff instead of the perception of a program. Big picture, meaning on the field product and Absolutely. relationships that a coach has with the players. Absolutely. It, it, it would go back to that. And I think my biggest takeaway from this and what really kind of brought me to kind of say, okay, well, it's fucking fuck it out there, but you know, let's give it a ride. <laughs> It is out there. And but it's one of those
1: things too that if somebody would show the projections of those P five conferences, hey, you're gonna make a lot more money a year. They look at Ohio State and they look at Texas and they look at some of your other programs and say, Sorry, dogs, more money's out there. Why is the NFL king right now? Because of parity. And that's why they have the draft. That's why you can't just walk in and say, yo, I'm the best quarterback in college. I want to come play for your team. Can't do that. All right. So here's the question fans that we're going to ask you. We're going to post out on Twitter. What schools benefit the most from this type of draft? Who suffers? We've given our answers here. So we want to hear yours. We want to hear if you think, no, Ryan Day is a great coach. Ohio state would keep on chucking. They would keep on going to Rose bowls and making the playoffs.
0: So that's the way we're going to ask you guys to come up with it. Brian, yeah. um, let, let us to... know who you think is going to be the, the big, biggest benefactor from a draft. I think that's the thing we want to know is, like, who do you think is going to benefit the most and who's going to suffer? Because, like I said, we, Curtis said we laid it out, and I think uh, some of you probably will come up with maybe some different answers than what we came up with. So let's see what you got.
1: Absolutely. Alright. So that is we're gonna put the bow on it. That's gonna wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner Project. My name is Curtis Wilson.
0: I'm Brian Siegler.
1: Follow the podcast on Twitter, Facebook, subscribe for your podcast on your favorite source, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. We always let our buddy Jason Long play us in, play us out. Catch him on Spotify and Apple Music. Thanks for listening. And as always, let's go.
0: Okay.